Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello again out there, Eddie Lenahan here, and this may very well be the last podcast for this part of the year at least, uh, until autumn maybe, because look, you're more than likely to be busy for the summertime if we get a summer this year, and I'll be busy too because I want to get my next book finished. I've been at it for quite a long time now, uh, Military Memories. It's taken me over four and a half years to do what I have done already. And I owe it to the old people that have been transcribing their memories from my recordings. Memories going back as far as the Boer War and beyond that even, as far as their memories have stretched through the Boer War, the First World War, the Troubles, <laughs> the First Troubles, as a lot of them called it, the War of Independence, and the Tans, of course, and the Emergency, the Second World War, the Emergency, as we so coyly called it, right up to the Second World War, all of that. It's been a long, long march for me, transcribing all of those. So, today... What I've chosen for this podcast is The Care of the Dead. Now, The Care of the Dead. From ancient times, right up to modern times, any time, always 
a mystery. The dead. Death. It provides us with a why and a where, of course. It's obvious to all of us that life or spirit or something has gone out of a person when they die. But to where? Every civilization has tried to answer that question, including our own. In olden times in Ireland, you might go to Tiernanog, and now, of course, under Christianity is heaven. No matter, there's one thing that all had or have in common, and that is that the dead deserve respect. Even today, when we see the sadistic behaviour of drug gangs or the indiscriminate killing of children in warfare, most of us are still capable of being shocked. Luckily, luckily for us, if we weren't, there wouldn't be a civilization anymore. Now, to get to the thing itself, what about the wake? Wakes really have thinned out in modern society. There are still wakes occasionally, you do hear of them, in spite of the undertaker's business more or less taking over what used to be wakes. But in olden times, the belief was always that it was lucky to die during the 12 days of Christmas. And the reason was because the gates of heaven were supposed to be open to everybody during the 12 days of Christmas. You were lucky if you died during that time. And from the moment of death until burial, until burial, all that time, the body was never left alone. Now, you ask yourself why. There was a number of reasons. Now, the most obvious one, of course, was affection for the dead person. And that was very understandable. But in very previous times, there was a very practical one. And that was body snatchers. Now, there was a very stupid law at the time that medical doctors, they couldn't get a body. The law was against it. They couldn't get a body to experiment on. Surgeons. So they had to have their body snatchers out, what they used to call the sack em up men, out when there'd be a new burial. Uh, the boys would go by night, dig up the corpse and bring them surreptitiously to the surgeons. It was a terrible, stupid law. But they had their ways of getting bodies. And, well, they did. They did. They paid a, a couple of shillings for a body. Wasn't that an awful thing? An awful thing to think that you'd go back maybe in the morning to say a prayer and all you'd find in the graveyard was a hole in the ground. The body gone. So that was a good reason for staying with the body by the graveside. And the third one, of course, might be fear. And there was always this element wherever a death took place. Uh, and I'm not talking about a violent death, no matter what kind of a death, was the otherworldly, was always close at hand. There was always, and always is, even today, this little bit of uncomfortableness where a death 
is present or not present as we know now. You know, something is absent and as the otherworldly is close at hand. And it does make us uncomfortable because, well, it brings home to us that uh, there goes he or she and there goes I sooner or later. It brings a very uncomfortable truth home to all of us that, oh, oh, none of us is here forever. So, and next, how was the dead person dressed? Nowadays, of course, they're dressed in their Sunday best. In the in the undertaker's uh, office, we'll say, but previously it was in a habit. And in olden times, entirely, if it was a very old person who died, they were dressed in a black habit. And then after that, it was in a brown habit. Within living memory, everybody was dressed in a brown habit. Kind of a democracy, you might say, the democracy of the dead. After then, they always said that you shouldn't go to a wake alone. Take company or go in company. There again, you see this notion of something to be feared on an occasion of death. You wouldn't go alone because, because of what? Something something. It was better to take company. And when you came to the wake house itself, reverence, respect was the order of the evening or night. Uh, You went in straight away and you knelt beside the corpse which had been laid out and you said a prayer. Now there are many things that yet you recognise from the old to the new yet. Many of the things still hold even though it might be an undertaker's today and the old custom in the house, there are many of the things that do survive. Respect is one of them, very much one of them. But in the olden days, you went into the house where the wake was being held, you went to where the the body was laid out and you knelt down and you said a prayer. And you offered condolences, of course, to the people who were inside. That is still very much done today. In a different, slightly different form, of course, but still done. And you joined the rest of the people then who were inside, the rest of the mourners. Now, the kind of wake it was depended very much on the person who had died. If it was a very old person, whose death was expected? Well then, it wasn't a terrible mournful, mournful occasion. Because the person was expected to die. If it was somebody of 80 or 90 years of age, well then, if you were too mournful, it would be hypocritical. And everybody would know you were being a hypocrite by crying and mourning. That, that was left to the keeners, the monarchinta, and more about that in a little while. Uh, it was more a social occasion. Well, you would meet friends and all that. Of course, you'd pay your respects. Naturally, you'd pay your respects. But it would be more a social occasion. And in times back, back, it was an occasion for dancing and for stories and for games. Now, the clock had been stopped. 
Sometimes even the mirrors were covered, but the clock was stopped, and people since have all been sometimes thinking, oh, the clock was stopped, why this, why that? There was a very simple reason for that. It was to show what time the person had died at. And why? Because then not everybody had a watch. Not everybody had a clock. And so it was a convenience to show at what time the person had died for those people who were coming in to the wake. Very, very practical. Now, next, the body, it, was, it had been already shaved and it had been laid out on a table in the biggest room in the house. Not necessarily in the bedroom, because in farmhouses that time, and more especially in cottages, bedrooms are very small. Even in, even in reasonably big farmhouses, bedrooms tended to be small. And not just that, but bedrooms were off of the kitchen. One room off of the other, off of the other. So to lay a person out, a dead person out, in a bedroom would tend to cause confusion and snarl-ups. So what they used to do more often than not, was to lay the person out in the biggest room, often in the kitchen, so that there'd be no traffic jams. And it also gave room for the dancing and for the sport in previous times. Now, we might say, what? Horrible too, my, what kind of savages were they? But I'll get to that in a minute. So it was a practical thing again. As I say, if they were laid out, the person was laid out in the bedroom. It would only allow one person at the time to go in and the candles were lit beside the bed. And the snuff, there was, uh, there was snuff given out at all these wakes and that was put on a little bedside table. And every person was supposed to take a grain of snuff out of manners. Manners, it was a custom. Now, you're snuffed, whether you're snuffed or not. <laughs> and like uh, the old women and the old fellas would snuff, especially the old women would be mad for snuff because, as you know, snuff is tobacco, ground up. Uh, and the other thing they would take that time was there'd be plenty clay pipes. There'd be plenty clay pipes and one man was put in charge of the clay pipes for the night. And he his duty was to make sure that every person got a pipe. They had already previously, you see, before the wake, been stuffed with tobacco, and uh, every person was supposed to take a pipe, whether you were a smoker or not. It was your duty to take a pipe and take a few pulls and say a prayer for the dead person. It was part of the routine. So after that, a lot of those pipes were left on the grave. After that, in the graveyard. So, again, part of the religious routine. <laughs> I could say also to add to that, a lot of the old ladies that were there, they were meant to get those pipes because the old women used to smoke these old doudines that time as well, you see. So they had no objection to getting these pipes. Now, an interesting one from all over Ireland, a custom was that whatever snuff was left after the night was gathered up in the saucer where it was and kept carefully put away and kept as a cure for headaches. All over Ireland that was a custom. 
that snuff was kept for, as a cure for headaches. Interesting. Now, other leftovers from the wake, no matter what they were, food, drink, etc., were given to the poor. And there was many, many wandering beggar men, etc., etc., going the roads at that time. And they were delighted, of course, to have whatever might be left for a wake. And I guarantee you, they knew when a wake was going on, nothing was wasted. Because people nowadays who have everything they want, there's no such thing as poverty now when you can go into any shop and buy clothing or shoes or anything else that's cheap. There was none of that at that time. People were in want and they were delighted to get whatever, whatever was left over from a wake. Delighted. Nothing was left go wake. Now, what about the clothes of the dead person? Now, there was a very, very peculiar custom down in the southwest of Ireland, in Cork, in Kerry and in West Limerick in particular. And that was for the three Sundays after the, the wake and the funeral, a relative of the dead person would wear his suit of clothes going to Sunday Mass. Sometimes, sometimes, that might not be done. And there are quite a few stories. I heard a couple of them from old people down there in West Cork. West Cork was very, very good for these kind of uh, stories. I heard a couple of them in West Cork where that wasn't done. And the ghost of the dead man came back to complain that he was going naked in the other world, that he was shamed in front of his relations in the other world, that why didn't they do in this world what they were supposed to, to keep up the, the worldly old custom of going to the church in this world in his good clothes, that he couldn't face the people in the other world, his own relations. And he frightened the living life out of the people in this world that, that well, it was too late then. But what they could do instead was at least give away his good clothes to worthy poor people and that would salvage some of what he had lost, some of his honour, I suppose, in the other world. It was a peculiar custom, but it was done. It was done. So, keening. Keening, a queen and a morov. Now, keening and genuine crying for the dead both went hand in hand. As you might guess, people did cry for their dead, as they do today. I was at a funeral this very week. A most... A most sad... The most sad funeral I think I was ever at. A little child buried on her birthday. Her first birthday. I don't think I was ever at anything so sad in my life. And to see the, ch the children's closest and dearest. But what can you say? What would I say? What would you say if it happened to you? Well, now, that kind of sorrow and grief, it must happen all the time. It must happen in... Well, we see it on television every night, the, the, the terrible destruction of war. And we take no notice of it until it comes very close to ourselves. Well, now, the keening was something quite different. 
keening women were hired and sometimes they were in the parish they were professionals they used to come into a funeral and they were welcomed and they were honored because they were they, because they were professionals and they could cry for the dead person like banshees and sometimes they could make up as they went they could they were poets you might say they were they were the kind of people who could make up a verse in extempore there and then about that person and praise them to the roof and well it seems it seems that their wailing was I won't say enough to frighten the dead but it certainly impressed the living some people said that poets could do the same and that some poets uh, could as I say, like about the banshee or about the the, the, the monarch quinta, they could make up extempore there and then, uh, and about the living person who had died there, uh, uh, there in front of them. All that has been lost, all of it is gone, and why? Because the clergy stamped it out. The clergy regarded it as pagan, and it wasn't. It wasn't pagan at all. It was in honour of the dead person. Wakes in the olden times lasted two days. Two, two nights. Two days as well, but two nights in particular. And the reason for that is, when you see the way a thing is over so quickly now, it's nearly here and gone before we know it. But the reason, of course, why wakes lasted two nights in previous times was because communications were slow. They had to allow for people getting there from a long, long distance. And nearly always, the second night of the wake was where the crowd was biggest, for that very reason. People had to be allowed time to get to the house from God only knows where, when communications were slow. Now, the wake games and amusements were... And this question has often been asked that people from abroad will say, why in the name of God used these things go on? Well, they used to go on in most parts of the world one time. Most parts of the world used to have these same things. Most parts of Europe had them not, to not that long ago, recent centuries, but they were, they were stamped out by various councils of the church they survived in Ireland longest, presumably because Ireland was away out there at the edge of Europe. But again, various councils of the church eventually in Ireland got the better of them. But they survived in Ireland right up to the end of the 19th century. And they were basically to assure the dead person that, look, we're celebrating that you're still with us. Your spirit is still with us. And what would I say? How would I put it? Uh, we're sorry to see you going. We're sorry to see you going. You'll be with us for a little bit longer. And we, we're, we won't see you for always. But as long as you're still in the house, we, because remember, the coffin was still in the house. The dead person was the house. We'll have one last celebration while you're still with us here. And I suppose that was a worldly notion. That was a worthy notion. Now, 
Sean O'Sullivan was the expert on all these things, you know, the keeper of the manuscript collection in UCD, the folklore collection, and in his famous book, uh, Irish Wake Amusements, he talks about the various games, and there were dozens and dozens and dozens of these games. And a few of them that he names were uh, Building the Ship, The Drunken Man, uh, The Shaving Game, Selling the Plough, The Two-Tailed Cat, Hide the Robber, Polishing the Shoes, The Horse Fair, and on and on and on and on. Now, the Horse Fair was a funny one, because in that... You had a horse dealer, and he'd pick out various men that were there, there around the kitchen. And there might be a big lad, and a big strong lad, and he'd be the cat horse. And there'd be another athletic-looking fella, he'd be the cob, and you'd have another awkward-looking gom, he'd be the plough horse. And you'd have a... He'd pick them out according as they looked. And you might have a dainty-looking fella, and he'd be the horse for, you know, under the side cat. And there might be a horse, another fellow who looked a lazy-looking yoke, and he'd be, uh, he'd be the fella, and another be fella, and then he'd be picked out as a blacksmith, and they'd tumble him down on the floor, and the blacksmith would start hammering the soles of his feet, <coughs> changing his shoes, you know, the blacksmith changing his shoes, to the uproarious fun of the whole crowd that was there. It was a game. It was. And you'd say, what in the name of God? And, and, a, and a poor dead man lying, lying close by. And of course, it was partly, as I say, you know, uh, uh, to, to keep a bit of jollity in the crowd, partly in honour of the dead man, but partly to pass away a long, long night. They weren't going to sit there gloomily, gloomily saying their prayers. They said their prayers too. They would say the rosary and all. There was part of the night given over to the prayers. But God bless us and save it. They weren't going to say six different rosaries. And they had a bit of fun too. And they had their prayers. And they had... They were human beings. They were... They were you can't be saying prayers the whole time. Even in a very... Even in a very solemn occasion. People were going to get bored of that kind of thing. So, you know, they, they, they were human beings. And they enjoyed themselves as well as doing their duty. Very often, you see, the clergy, they were living solitary lives. They weren't living among the people as such. And the clergy also had to be looking over their shoulder at the Protestant clergy uh, and trying to avoid the notion that, oh, oh, the Catholics are savages and we always knew it. So, you know, the clergy were caught a little bit too. The clergy were trying their best to... You know, they were trying their best. They are doing their best. Uh, just as Father Matthew was trying to clear the drunkenness and put in out of the country, and he was right in a way, because, you know, faction fights used to break out at fairs and at funerals too, in fairness, at funerals. So they were trying to clear things up. But like, like the Irish in general, they went overboard. Just like we go overboard today, it's, the Irish tend to do that. They go from A to Z. The Irish are not a very stable people. They'll never go to from A to mm, G or H or I. They'll always go from A to Z. They'll go. Then they'll always take things too far, either one way or another. 
Now, the funeral itself, when it came the morning time to go to the church or to the graveyard, there was great formality in funerals. There was great formality at a funeral, be it big or be it small in former times. A lot of that has survived to this very day. The coffin. Nowadays coffins are bought. They're, they're just purchased. But in previous times the coffin was made by a local carpenter. I remember that. I can remember that. I remember a local carpenter. He had his shed where he used to make the coffins. And it was brought out of the house. And it was placed for a short time on four chairs outside the door. And funny thing, on the breastplate of the coffin, or the name, the name of the person and all, and a little prayer and RIP would be written on it, a little brass breastplate. But there'd be no date written on it. No date. Now, no precise date. A day before or a day after? Yes. An old man back in West Clare told me that. And his explanation was a peculiar one. To avoid giving any leeway to the fairies. To the man, f- the man, for the man in the coffin, they might carry the man in the coffin. So here you had the thing of Christian belief mixed with fairy belief. You didn't write any date on the breastplate or the coffin. Everything else, yes. So it was brought out and as soon as it was carried up onto the shoulders of the men who were going to carry that, the four men who were going to carry the coffin to the church, those chairs were knocked. And the reason for it was that signified that separation between that man and his home. It broke the link. And in some places, what was also done was the poker iron, of course, made by the local blacksmith, was sometimes, sometimes around the house inside, circled, 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 so that it would encourage the spirit of the dead person to go out because the windows and the doors would have been opened. So it was the encouragement, I think a friendly encouragement, please, please, please go, go. Not that you're not welcome anymore, but no, go. Uh, The next thing was that the four men that were carrying the coffin, there would be the same surname as the person who had died. And that still applies as much as possible. Now, it's not always possible, of course, because there may not be enough of the same surname, but if it can be possible at all, there'll usually be at least somebody of the same surname, a brother or or a nephew or a cousin or somebody like that carrying the coffin uh, to the church. Now, that is, of course, if they're walking. Otherwise which applied also in olden days, they might carry it in a horse car today, in a hearse or whatever. Now, the procession in olden times used to be very formal, very formal. It used to be coffin and its carriers. Uh, there'd be men, 
there'd be men. And after the coffin, there'd be men walking. And after them, there'd be younger women walking. Now, that's if they wanted to walk. If they didn't, they'd be carried in horse traps or horse carts. And, of course, the older women or older men would also have... Be, they'd be carried also in the horse transport. And after that, all others. Horse traps or horse common cars or whatever. Now, beyond that then, you had very you know, little niceties about going into the church. Who carried the coffin into the church? Closest friends or close relatives? Small, small things like that did matter. And even today, that can matter. You'll see it when coffins are being carried into a church, we'll say, by a, a young person who has died. GAA, friends, very often carry the coffin into the church, you know, because they will be the ones who... who I won't say that they'll demand it, but it's an honour. It's an honour to carry their friends into the church, especially, because into the graveyard, mm -mm, there's something final about that. But into the church, it's not quite as final. Into the graveyard, it is final, and that's reserved more for family. Now, after that, we could say, in a more general sense, Everybody wore their Sunday best, and still does, to a funeral. Anyone meeting a funeral on the road? Well, did, and still does. Uh, they should, I think, and I think everybody knows this. Pull in, pull in out of respect, and let it pass. And that applies to pedestrians or to cars, even though with cars today that is becoming less and less. People are in such a bloody hurry today that they have no respect for funeral or anything else, although most people do tend to slow down a bit, I think, out of respect. Nowadays, thanks be to God, uh, if a coffin is being carried, especially on shoulders, you'll have a guard, or you'll have somebody at least to stop the traffic if it hasn't the sense to stop itself. They would let this, at least the front of the, the funeral pass them by. And in olden days, at least, they'd walk a few steps with the funeral. That was regarded as good manners. And some people used to regard it as, if you didn't, well, look what happened to the Mayo team, they said, when, when they didn't do that. <laughs> and also... When they were passing shops, shops closed their doors. And in the old days when there were shutters, they closed their shutters or pulled down the blinds. Now, when they got to the graveyard, of course the grave had been dug the day before or the evening before. But never after dark. A grave was never dug after dark or a grave was never dug on a Monday. It could be dug on a Monday only on one condition, that a sod of it had been turned on the Sunday previous, on the Sunday evening previous. Or a grave was never dug on a New Year's Day. It was never dug on a New Year's Day because the belief was that if 
a grave was dug on New Year's Day, in that graveyard you'd have constant deaths. You'd have constant funerals going into that graveyard all that year. So nobody was prepared to take that risk, whether they really believed it or not. Now, also, when they got to the graveyard gate, there was nobody, there was nobody going to, at, at least in olden times, I'm not so sure about now, there was nobody going to take a shortcut to the graveyard, to the grave itself from the gate. What they used to do was, and this is linked to something else which I'll mention in a moment, you took from east to west by the southern wall of the graveyard, from east to west by south, and you landed with the coffin then on the northern side of the grave. In other words, you followed the circle of the sun. Clockwise, in other words. And this was the very same way as you did around at a blessed well. You never went the other way. It was always by the sun. Very nice custom. Very nice custom. So you went from right to left, never left to right. And, and it was uh, in parts of Kerry at least, and I'm sure in very many other places as well. There was a parish down in South Kerry that the grave digging, because there was, like I said, there was these, these customs to do with so many aspects of funerals and wakes. In South Kerry, there was a parish that when they were digging a grave, if there was anybody called Michael who was dead, anybody called Michael couldn't dig that grave. And in the same parish, if there was anybody, whatever his surname was, his surname, if the person who was dead was of the same surname, he wasn't allowed to dig that grave. Little things like that. And of course the reason was pretty obvious. You might be the next into that grave if you... And so there was nobody forcing that the person wouldn't do it. The person wouldn't do it because, we'll say, if the man did was Michael, uh, I'm not going to dig that grave if I'm Michael because I might be the next Michael in, uh, in, to be buried in this uh, graveyard. So... Those kind of beliefs, they were pretty obvious in a way if you were of that mentality and of that culture. So, no shortcuts. And the Irish Seanachal uh, that covered that was on Timple Conan Temple or Got Timple Lesochred. On Timple Conan Temple or Got Timple Lesochred. Every roundabout to a funeral. So uh, it was uh, respect once more. We don't want to see the last of you and we'll take every every roundabout to make sure that we're, we're not doing so until we have to. Now you can see and I know two places in this parish here where there are coffin stones, where people, they took the long way around across the land. And of course, to do that, because they were taking the coffin on their shoulders, they had to put down the coffin on the way. 
And what they did very often in these places was they threw a little pebble at that spot. And you can still see the heap of pebbles at that place where the heap of pebbles has grown, grown, grown over the years. Now, very often, of course, they're not used anymore, but they're a memorial of times when hearses weren't used. Uh, easier times now. But hearses couldn't travel. There's one up there in Belmroan. And you can see where the rough ground is, where the coffin used to be, used to be shouldered down across the mountain. Because the church is away up here and the graveyard, Dune graveyard, is down there. And it's down across a mountainy hill. And you say, how in God's name did they shoulder a coffin down there? But they had to. Because otherwise they would have had to go three miles this way or five miles that way. Nowadays it's easy. Because a hearse will take you there in 15 minutes. Well, 10 minutes that way or 15 minutes this way. But in those days, on the shoulders, and but there was a coffin stone, Clock Honora, it's called. Clock Honora, to honour the dead. And a little pile of pebbles beside it. Lovely custom, but forgotten practically. Now, uh, bad weather on the day of a funeral was of no hindrance whatsoever to the people carrying that coffin or the people behind the coffin. The procession. In fact, there was a word for it, a little rhyme for it. Happy the soul that rain falls on. And of course, the other half of it was happy the bride that the sun shines on. Lovely, lovely little uh, verse. Now, at the graveside itself, or at the graveyard, respect. Respect. As I said, the longest way to the grave. And when the coffin had to be lowered into the grave, the four men were waiting, the ropes were ready, the grass had been prepared nicely, uh, green grass, the coffin was let down and the green grass was put down on it to hide the sound of the clay thumping down on the coffin and then it was filled in. Now, the, the grave was filled in then once the priest was finished his prayers and the spade and shovel crossed on top. People dispersed and, of course, there were, some of them went back to the house where they were fed. By then, of course, the women back at the house, they would have cleared everything away, they would have righted the chairs, uh, the food might have been prepared, a meal for those who had come from long distance. Now, the people back at the graveyard, some of them wouldn't go back to the house, of course. Uh, they would have a chance to visit their own graves in the graveyard because, remember, Irish people, some are good to visit graves. As we know from the state of old graveyards, some don't keep up their graves at all. But on the day of a funeral, some people do like to visit their own graves. A funeral was the perfect opportunity. Some of the others, as I say, went back to the house. They were fed there. And that's the end of the, the whole uh, day of the wake, the funeral, the burial. But after the funeral itself, there'd usually be a rush in old days 
to get out of the graveyard. And the reason why was <laughs> a funny one. The belief was the last man out brought the bad look of the graveyard with him. So very often there was a very, um, what would we say, a very un, un edifying uh, sight between the two piers of the graveyard and a squash and a crush to get the hell out of there fast. Not to be back to the house where they were going to be fed, but to be out of the graveyard quick in order not to bring the, the bad look of it with you because the belief was that if you were last man out, the person that was buried in your family uh, or whoever's family was of the person out the man inside was going to be the servant of every other person buried in that graveyard until the next funeral came in so it was in your interest to be out of there uh, and not to be the last man out and also there are records of when two funerals took place together to a graveyard and I suppose it could happen and it does happen uh, there was a mad rush to be into the graveyard first. <laughs> into the graveyard first, believe it or not. And sometimes a fight was seen at the gate to be in. And reason, uh, the last person in was supposed to be the servant of every dead person in there until there was another fun funeral in. <laughs> so in or out, <laughs> you were caught <laughs> the dead person cut inside. So, uh, I don't know, in modern times, in some ways we have become civilised, maybe. Now, nowadays, to finish up, you'd say that it has, all, it has all become a little bit maybe too easy. All, all too easy, yeah. We can file through the undertakers. We can be sometimes embarrassed uh, as to whose hand we should shake when we go inside the door, since we only know the dead person and a few of the mourners, the first few usually, in the line of black-suited people. And yet, one thing has not changed, and never will, hopefully, and that is the pallor of death and the silence it brings to all of us even if only for a few short minutes. And that is a timely reminder and a realistic reminder that we won't be here forever. None of us. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.